Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm CJ. This is Isaac. And we're very glad that Brian's eye parasite (laughs) has left him through the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he's returned. Some, uh, so that Jesus might show him how much he must suffer for the sake of Jesus's name. Yep, that's it. I, I I feel like I'm trying to figure out what the reason was why this happened, but I'm you know I just I've been I've been in a lot of uh, discernment about uh, what's going to come out of uh, me losing uh, losing my eye for the last week. Uh, it was funny. I told all I was telling my wife that uh, and kids. That, that you know one one aspect of this like it could have gone like two different ways and one of them was uh like you know significant vision loss in your in your right hand eye or your right eye and i told my wife my kids that and it didn't even register they're just like mm, okay i was like oh all right well i guess <laughs> but luckily it looks like it's clearing up so i i'm i'm back on the back on the pod uh ready to uh ready to kind of to roll i guess We'll see. We'll see if it affects my uh, my takes. I don't. I don't know. It might make the takes better because I'm on steroids. You know, who knows? We'll see what happens. Oh, you're hopped up. I know <laughs> some some rage takes happening here in a minute. So, yeah, I was about to say you uh, just are going to hulk out on the pod. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of hulking out, <laughs> hell yeah. yeah! There you go. <laughs> CJ just coming in with the perfect segue here. So, folks have been absolutely howling in anticipation for us to follow up on our uh, reaction to the Falcon and Winter Soldier conclusion ever since we referenced it a a few episodes back. And so we wanted to give the people what they demand. Um, So we're here to talk about recent MCU stuff and specifically the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And uh, I guess that means we need to do a spoiler alert or warning if you haven't finished that series and you want to, um, then don't listen. But if you haven't watched any of it at all, uh, I think there'll still be a funny conversation. So stick around. And you will be in the exact same boat that I am in for this conversation. And, and honestly, me too. <laughs> I, I couldn't make it through it. I, I was just going to say, to add on to that, like, or if, you're, if you care about spoilers, maybe don't. There's, you know, what's coming, mm, not, that, not that impressive, so... Feel free to keep listening. Well, uh, CJ is kind of like me now with the MCU and and uh, Twitter stuff. He's just like blissfully ignorant. <laughs> well, <laughs> through non-participation. Yeah. It's really fasting. I opted out in 2015 and I never looked back. Ray, the MCU. Uh, except for the the speech you just made me watch given by, was it Falcon? It's Falcon, yeah. Given by Falcon, which, you know, I'll wait for you to get there because I think it was in the finale. So I'll let y'all have your takes. But man, that speech was something. Well, uh, the first thing I want to start with is, you know, last time we were talking about, um, you know, how the, uh, oh God, like the anarchist group that wants to get, they wants to get rid of borders and no nations and all that crap headed by um, this girl, Carly, who becomes a super soldier. How that's basically just code for Antifa, um, the MCU trying to incorporate Antifa. And it, it just made me like the rest of the series. Um, all I can think now, I can't even think of their name. Anti-flaggers, is that what they're called, Brian? I don't remember. I, I know that their main mission was to kind of get rid of uh, 
get rid of borders or like nation borders. And it was like, oh, okay. I'm like, wait, am I supposed to be arguing against them? That was that's the oh, only the thing. Flag I, smashers. Flag how smashers. I, that's what they sorry, were. Yeah, how flag could smashers. I like fucking forget that iconic name? <laughs> flag smashers. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. No, I was, that, that's all I was going to say is like the idea of like, that was the main part of our conversation before was trying to figure out if the MCU, if Marvel wanted us to be uh, sympathetic towards uh, the Flag Smashers or to kind of grab on to their, <clears throat> their idea of like, the, you know, that there's certain people in the CIA that are out there trying to save you from this Antifa uh, force. Yeah, and then the other thing we talked about is just how... Uh, how basically the Captain America movies had really um, grappled with the role of Captain America vis-a-vis America and the military-industrial complex. And it seems like Falcon and the Winter Soldier is just like, okay, all of that somewhat complex or nuanced commentary on Captain America's relationship to the state, we're throwing it all out the window and we're going to give... Falcon, a buddy sidekick who is a troop. He's literally a troop. And I'm afraid to say that uh, I did some digging on this. And apparently in the comic books, in the run where they made Falcon Captain America, that troop character becomes the new Falcon. So I, I'm pretty sure we can anticipate the, that. Not even going to remember his name because it's so dumb. But that troop character becoming the new Falcon and... Captain America played by Anthony Mackie, Sam Wilson being flanked by Falcon and Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier in the fourth Captain America movie. So in addition to having like another sidekick on the ground with them, I guess Falcon is now just going to be like a drone pilot for (laughs) military representation's sake. But so, yeah, I mean, on, on one level, it's, it's a shame to, uh, to see like everything they did with Steve Rogers in the military industrial complex just like completely get kicked out the door in this in this series. But I did read a couple of hilarious takes that I wanted to share uh, on that point. And the other character in this series, Wyatt Russell, who plays the new Captain America, the white guy Captain America, who later becomes spoiler alert again, but who gives a fuck, the U.S. agent, which is a good character from the comics. It is cool that they would like incorporate him, but it sucks that it sucks that it's done in the context of this like really crappy show. But anyway, so what I was looking up <clears throat> about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and <laughs> its connection to the military industrial complex, I found one of the amazing, one of the most amazing takes by a couple of troop blogs. And and it's multiple times I found this take. Sorry, troop, so wh- troop blogs, like military blogs? What, what? Like soldiers blogging, yeah, okay. about pop culture. One of them was entitled, so Wyatt Russell plays the new Captain America. His name is John Russell. He's a combat vet from the war in Afghanistan where he won the Medal of Honor in a shocker uh, mission where no one else returns alive. And there are multiple times throughout the series where he and his and his black sidekick, Lamar, talk about how like if they had the super serum on that day when they won the Medal of Honor, like what a difference they could have made. Well, the true blogs that I found wrote about how John Walker, the character, reveals Steve Rogers' war privilege from the original MCU movie, Captain America. Because uh, apparently 
Steve isn't really a troop because he spent the beginning of his career as Captain America doing like USO shows, <laughs> getting people to buy war bonds during World War II. <laughs> so he had no trauma. So is he really a troop? Is, uh, how they were opening the question. Yeah. Okay. I will say, I think the last Marvel movie I saw was Captain America, the Winter Soldier, whatever the second one was. Mm-hmm. But I mean, isn't like a large part of Captain America's character that he literally like dies, like fry, like assumes he's going to die, like freezes himself in ice to save the world. And then he comes back and in like a completely different time. I mean, I hate time travel, but like, that seems like it would be traumatic. <laughs> Just, this is amazing. <laughs> that take is incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like um, Steve Rogers is John Kerry and his whole like <laughs> claims to like war fame are actually fake in light of the people who really fought in a war. I don't know, Brian, anything to add on that? I mean, I, I no, not really, because what I'm going to add is just going to take, this is going to get upset about, I mean, upset at a fictional situation, which is like the fact that like, if you're, if you know, if you like basically serve your country and then find yourself, you know, cryogenically or whatever, frozen for generations, then you wake up and everybody that you loved is dead. I don't know. That might be traumatic. Uh, That was just going to be my take is like, I I don't know. I, I I have the tendency with the Marvel stuff uh, and I have to tamp it down to get like a little too, um, what'd you say? Like, care too much, I guess. And so that, that's been a nice palate cleanser with this one. It's just like, I don't care about any of this stuff anymore. But yeah, for me, that that's a that's quite the take. I I and I don't I don't understand it really, I guess. It's just are they saying that he just he doesn't that the are they saying are they coming on behalf of John Walker then? That they they think he's the that he's the sentimental figure or the sympathetic figure? Yes. Well it so this is a nice lead into the next take that I saw, which is that this is from another true blog. Finally, the MCU is giving sympathetic views of troops <laughs> because apparently in uh, Iron Man, the like launching movie for the MCU, he gets captured in the middle of a military convoy in Afghanistan. And according to this blog, the troops that are in that scene, like talking to Iron Man and a Humvee, are so idiotic, they die almost instantly. And that was the MCU shaming troops and saying that they couldn't protect Iron Man. (laughs) And so ever since then, the only other military characters have been these like people who end up being villains in the Captain America movies as that series and that thread of the MCU wrestled with like the military industrial complex and like surveillance. So, you know, Sergeant Ross and all these other people, they're all all the troops in the series, except for Sam, are villains after that. So this guy was saying, like, John Walker finally gives us a real troop and that people can, like, sympathize with. And, and so does that, that other character who's kind of like the sidekick who's going to be the Falcon in the next movie. That finally we have a more realistic portrayal of troops in the MCU it's hilarious, given that take, that everyone who watched the series absolutely hated John Walker's character. Well, and also that it's just like I don't okay, I don't know if I understand. So like, the idea is because they're because they're just regular troops that that makes them better. Because like I'm thinking like Punisher was a veteran, Nick Fury was a veteran, uh, Bucky Barnes veteran, Carol Danvers veteran. I can keep going. Uh, Wolverine, shit, Wolverine was a veteran. Uh, Deadpool. <clears throat> Well, you're moving out of the MCU now. 
Well, We're specifically talking about the movies. Uh, okay. Well, okay. I'm, I'm I'm showing my my nerdiness here, but like like Professor Xavier is a veteran too. So it's like okay. So like they're saying in the movies that not the not the comics, just in the movies themselves. This collection of like world, we need to have better representation of soldiers. Yes, there have been okay. no positive depictions of soldiers, even though I think you're absolutely right to point out Carol Danvers, like. Uh, Captain Marvel is a huge commercial for the Air Force. Yes. But I guess that um, I guess that that doesn't count because she's a woman. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, and and the Air Force, right? Uh, most of my friends that yeah. I have any kind of connection to the military have a lot to say about the Air Force. Um, well, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's yeah. I think I guess they get dunked on. Um, I wouldn't know, but there's some there's something I don't know. I wish I had thought about this a little bit beforehand, or knew we were going to go in this direction because I, I also think there's something interesting about like the co opting of like of Punisher by a lot of uh, mm-hmm. military and police yes. people, um, and with him being kind of like he really isn't actually what they think he is. He's kind of an anti everything. Anyway, uh, maybe for a different episode, but I think that that's... Well, I mean, I also think the big thing with the co-opting of Punisher is he's like one of the few superheroes who kills people, which is why it's so um, concerning. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, he has a huge body. (laughs) Yeah. I will say that uh, if you like dig down into the exact scenes, I think this series actually probably has the highest body count in the entire MCU. Like, people are getting killed. I mean, and also, Bucky Barnes does use a gun, which is hilarious. Cause he, so, like, here I do, I, I would have to look, but I would say more people die in this series than any other Marvel, well, modern Marvel property. Well, except for maybe Infinity War. Where they like, okay, when, where he snaps when everybody. the world dies, yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever. But I just mean like people are killed on screen, by yeah. heroes almost as much as they're murdered in like the Zack Snyder DC films. Like I, <laughs> I watched the Snyderverse a while back, and Batman just he just murders people all the time, and it's like, I mean, it's kind of interrogated in Batman versus Superman, but like just from a hey, how are we presenting this character? He's an absolute psychopath in the Snyderverse. So anyway, just that's that's a tangent we don't want to go down. But first thing that that cracks me up about all of this as I continue watching is how this character that everyone absolutely despised was somehow like better troop representation in the eyes of these blogs. But the bigger thing that I wanted to come on and, and talk about in in the series, like in the breadth of the series, having now seen all the episodes and because I also see it as a trend, not only in the Marvel movies, but in popular entertainment, is the depiction of this group of Flag Smashers and how the left modern social justice movements are going to be portrayed in corporate media going forward. So basically, Carly and the Flag Smashers, if you really boil down to what exactly is it they're trying to stop, (laughs) basically the uh, Global Repatriation Council is trying to deal with a refugee crisis that was created after the Thanos snap, where half of the world's population disappeared and then five years later reappeared. And now suddenly there are all these people that are living, like have, you know, lived for five years potentially in homes or in jobs or in other places, even other countries where half of the world's population was. So, you know, Brian got got dusted in the Thanos snap. CJ moved into Brian's house. And then five years later, Brian comes back and is like, give me my house back. 
<laughs> oh, that um, makes that gives a lot more context for that line in the yeah in the speech you had us watch because I was like, is this some sort of ham-fisted commentary on Israel, on Israel. and Palestine? Well, <laughs> both That's and exactly, perhaps <laughs> you just guessed where we were going at the end of this. Congratulations! Oh, God. I thought the same thing. That, yep. that was the pill take. One hundred percent, it is Israeli propaganda. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but I can see. I mean, so based, but to put a finer point on it, the Global Repatriation Council, if you just ask what exactly are they about to do, they're about to use the military of every major, like basically NATO government to repatriate 30, 20 to 30 million refugees. Okay. They've put, they've taken all these people who moved into the houses of other people's. Uh, who got like erased in the snap and they've put them in camps and now they're about to forcibly relocate them with the military. All right. Like basically, Hey, we're about to do like a giant genocide. Even even the name, I mean, even the name global, what what is it again? Global repatriation council. Like I I mean, again, again, I only watched half the series and are they portrayed as a good institution uh, by doing that, that, I guess that's where I'm, I'm getting lost because that just sounds evil. <laughs> like that just sounds like something bad. So, um. well, that's the thing is that you never see like even in scenes where they go into the quote unquote refugee camps where Falcon and Bucky Barnes go into them to try to find the flag smashers because they're on the side of the refugees. You never see the full scale of it. The only refugee camp they enter is like. Oh God! Is it in Estonia or Latvia? It's in, oh Riga, yeah. So it's in Riga, and it's basically like a brownstone, and there's some like kids playing in a courtyard, and like it does not look anything like a fucking refugee camp. Okay, I've seen yeah. several of them. These people are like put up in in like a really fancy European European like ancestral dwelling, so you don't see like that's not even what refugee camps look like in Europe. I mean, like if. <laughs> Like, we know what they look like in Europe because they're huge ones in Greece. Yeah, right. They're all, they take up literally entire islands in the Mediterranean. But you never see anything that remotely looks like that. And yet, in one scene where they're, like, trying to... So they have these really sympathetic sort of antagonists, the Flag Smashers. And in one scene where they're trying to, like, complicate the narrative, Carly on her own decides she's the leader of the flag smashers decides to like blow up uh, a compound with troops from the global rape (laughs) the global repatriation council inside of it in retaliation for them hoarding and denying these millions of people six months worth of food and medicine (laughs) and so she bombs this building and probably kills like 10 people but the thing that they've done that she's like hurting them for is like starving millions of people. And so it's like, well, wow, if she would go to that, if she would go to those links, then maybe, maybe they are a terrorist group, even though I'm sympathetic, maybe they are terrorists if she would kill. Never mind the fact that like any leftist group would never let someone like just make a unilateral decision to like blow up a bomb. Right. Yeah. I, well, I like, okay, so I have not seen this show, so I don't, particularly want to get bogged down in the details. But I guess, like, I don't fully understand what, like, the main thrust of that show... Is it supposed to be a one-off 
saying, or is it setting up like a season two or like a different movie or, and, and will all of these plot lines matter eventually? Or is it just kind of like a a commercial for (laughs) uh, continued U.S. colonialism? (laughs) Well, it's setting up another Captain America movie Movie, where Falcon is now Captain America. And it's also continuing to deal with like the fallout after Avengers Endgame. So like, you know, there is interesting stuff to delve into there. Like what does happen after half the world's population comes back? Like plenty of fertile ground and what they go with is... Well, then, I mean, a, there was The Leftovers, right? Like, they kind of did that in, <laughs> in, like, a prestige television format. <laughs> yeah, they, they couldn't get the rights to have uh, Falcon in it, though. So. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that would have been amazing, though, to all of a sudden see Falcon start... He was just smoking uh, <laughs> with the other people. Sorry, I was just yeah. thinking, like, didn't they also already do that on television? And, he, and so the MCU was like, we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... So they, you know, they have an interest, an interesting idea to deal with, but you never see any of the actual effects. Like the series never takes like a twenty thousand foot view to say what does this actually look like, so you can really understand the power dynamics of it. Because what they do to make the flag smashers way more um, antagonistic than than they actually are is that ridiculous bombing scene that rings completely false. Carly begins to just like kind of go down this serial killer path where she's like killing people left and right. But they also give 20, remember like 20 people in the Flag Smashers, the Captain America super serum. So they become strong basically. But again, 20 people against the combined force of all of the NATO military powers (laughs) and Captain America, by the way. Like that's the other thing is that Captain America, part of the thread here is that Captain America is fighting on behalf of the U.S. and all of this. So Captain America is sent in to quell the terrorist threat so that 30 million people people can be forcibly resettled. I guess the the bigger point I'm trying to make, because I don't want to get bogged down in all of this, except to add one more thing about how they villainize Carly, is that uh, at one point she kills um, the new Captain America sidekick, his Falcon, who's a black guy named Lamar. And John Walker, the new Captain America, who's gone completely off the edge at this point, she apologizes to him for killing Lamar. And he rage screams back at her because she says, I didn't mean to kill anyone that doesn't matter to her to her goals. And he screams back at her, you think Lamar's life didn't matter? Which is just like probably what the writers thought was like commentary on the BLM movement um from a character who's like quasi coded as a fascist in the series but anyway it's just an absolutely like mind-boggling moment of of uh them trying to be relevant go brian did you have a take there well i just think and maybe i'm wrong because i have not been as online as normal that you know post like black panther you saw a lot of um in terms of like what you just mentioned, you saw a lot of like, hey, this is our this is our superhero. We're, we we actually this is like a good representation in a major kind of uh, film series, um, and this and we love this. And and it was you know it it bore out at the box office, and and I have friends who legitimately love 
Black Panther because, you know, or they took their kids to see it multiple times because, like, this is the first time we're seeing ourselves on, on screen. It's the same thing with uh, Captain Marvel and, and, and Wonder Woman and things like that. I, I don't know, and maybe you all have picked up on it. I, don't, I didn't see that with this, with, with a lot of kind of acclaiming um, Falcon as, as this character. And I wonder if it does kind of, because it does come off as a little bit ham-fisted at times. You know, at the, at the end in the speech that you showed us too, he talks about, uh, you know, being, you know, a black man carrying the stars and stripes. And I was like, oh, this is a missed opportunity. Like in better hands, like with the writers of say, um, WandaVision, who I think really did this well, like that might've been something that could have been interesting. The thing that WandaVision did that I thought was so interesting was that they decided we're going to focus on this grief. We're going to focus on this kind of very like quiet plot. And then we'll have all the Marvel stuff, but it'll be kind of on the outskirts, literally outside the bubble of this, of this, place that she's created. And I think that maybe that's what just didn't connect with me on the Winter Winter and the Soldier is they went almost in the opposite direction of just the writing was terrible for one, but it was so kind of like just, I don't know, just what's the word? Like disposable in a, in a way as far as a plot. It just felt the whole time like a setup to a movie like you were saying, where I think there, there could have been some really interesting stuff that they did with that, but they just, I think you're right. I think it was a bunch of uh, people in the in the writing room who are like, yeah, we're, we're gonna. This is gonna be deep. Let's let's have them screaming at her. Um, and they just kind of missed. The, I think they just missed the missed the point on it a couple times. So, well, I I think it's a it's a good point that you know Sam Wilson becoming Captain America has not even like has not scratched the sort of like pop culture surface in I would say like a fraction of the way that Black Panther did upon release. And I think part of it is because it, it's a way more, first of all, it's a different moment because Black Panther is not in any way associated with the United States and its legacy. And, you know, the George Floyd murder and uprising hadn't happened right before. And so they do absolutely nothing to delve into, which is like, should, like with the Isaiah Stewart character, it was like, should a Black man even be Captain America because Amer- because of America's history about race and eugenics and everything else they basically make it like the d plot unfortunately they substituted for like sam wants to keep his family's fishing boat as the the far more like interesting thing to them but i'm glad you brought up black panther because the bigger point i wanted to make is that they do exactly they try to do what black panther did with sam and this kind of leftist villain because killmonger Mm. um going back to Black Panther is 100% right. Like <laughs> yes. his, his goals, like the idea that Wakanda is like failing um, black people all across the globe by hoarding. It's like the fact that it's basically the most advanced nation on earth and making that a secret and, and allowing the U S and Europe to colonize the rest of the world and, and that it needed to like, not only open itself up to the world, but also like fight back to free black or brown people. 100% correct. Like, if Wakanda does exist and that is its true history, like it's absolutely monstrous that they would just sit back and be like, well, we've got space shit, but like, sorry, Jim Crow South, you're on your own. <laughs> but you know, what ends up happening in that is that instead they have to make Killmonger like basically like a terrorist, coded as a terrorist. His ideas are too intense. Even though you're sympathetic, he can't 
he can't be allowed to have his way because it would upset too many things. And there are a better, there's a better way to, you know, to handle the situation. So at the end of Black Panther, they like buy a condemned, you know, a condemned, I cannot think of federal housing, the word for it, a project. Yeah. Like a section A project in Oakland and start their own, like basically like cultural center there to teach black kids in Oakland how to code. And so all this to say is that so far what the MCU has got to say about leftist movements that resist colonialism, that that present themselves as anti-racist, that are on the side of refugees and historically oppressed people all, all over the world, is that while your intentions may be good, any act of violence on those people's behalf is terrorism. Or, or any, yeah, I think what you just said is actually really important. The idea of like seeing, um, what's her name again in, in, uh, in uh, Falcon and the uh, Winter Soldier? The, sma- the leader of the uh, Flag Smashers. Oh, Carly. Carly. Carly and Killmonger as, as transforming them from I'm an idealist into I'm an unhinged lunatic, right? Is, is how, like all that plays into the narrative of not, never being able to change anything systemically, right? Like this idea, like we can't do that. We can't defund the police. It'll turn into, uh, you know, chaos and stuff like that. And so there's, I, I really love thinking about it in that way of like, and how that plays into, I guess, more of like, not even like right wing, but I think like Democrat type of like views yes. of the world of like, we're going to do this with decency. We can't be indecent. Mm-hmm. We can't be crazy about this because what will happen if everything that we believe to be true is suddenly, you know, uh, metaphorically or not burning to the ground? Um, I, 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 I think that's really fascinating to think about what that, what that means and the idea that any kind of like, and I'm going to use the word prophetic, uh, but any kind of like imagination in that way, like is immediately going to be talked about as crazy. Uh, you, you just you blew my mind, Isaac. I might need to take a break uh, and have a little, have a little, have a little downtime <laughs> to consider this because that's that's really smart, I think. Well, but think about the way Killmonger is presented, even just visually, right? I mean, Michael B. Jordan uh, obviously is an incredibly fit person, but half the time he's without a shirt because he wants to show off these um, scars he's given himself to represent every single person that he's killed and they're all over his all over his body. So like you know that just allows everybody to wash over or completely reject his actually justified anger his anger about the existence of a place like Wakanda, his anger about the suffering he saw in Oakland um, during the height of the drug wars when he's a kid. And so it's like, okay, if you're mad about this stuff, and the same thing with Carly, like she starts a global movement that again, you never see the scope of except in apparently like flash mobs. That's the future of leftist organizing is <laughs> doing a flash mob for that turns into a terrorist attack. But you know, she like in, in the kind of <laughs> flash ultimate mobs. moment. Sorry, there's gotta be somebody on that writing team who's like, you know what the kids like these days is flash mobs. Yeah, Sorry, I, yeah. keep going. It's just it's brutal. They're basically like Let's combine like anonymous with a fucking like a flash mob, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I'm surprised they all didn't have like fidget spinners too as they were walking through the streets. Um, I, I, the Jabberwockies <laughs> come out in that like one where they do the like synchronized dance. Yep, and, yep. Like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm wondering. I mean, now I'm like now I'm in like 
writer novelist mode here and thinking about like, okay, what would happen? Like the more interesting story is like, what if Captain America, what if the Falcon decides to come onto the side of the Flag Smashers? Because like, uh, and saying like, we're going to reclaim what America's really about, quote unquote, whatever. I mean, take that for what you will. But like, to me, that's like, oh, that would be interesting. And that's kind of what happened in Winter Soldier anyway. So maybe they're, maybe they just don't want to double that up. But it's like, all of a sudden, like, a black man playing Captain America suddenly going on the side of being like a non, uh, not supporting a national kind or nationalist agenda. It's like, oh no, that's interesting. I would have been, I would have been down for that. Anyway, all that to say, Marvel, uh, let me know. I'm, I'm available uh, to be hired for this. So, Get secure the bag, Brian. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we will all. If I, if I can make that happen, I'll, I'll fund this podcast. Well, this is this will be our full time gig. <laughs> So ultimately, just to kind of wrap this up, because I think people are getting the getting the idea. <laughs> yes. But um, that should be the that should at, be the subtext of our pod. Uh, <laughs> wrap it up. People got the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, but so the climax of the Falcon and Winter Soldier series, Carly and the Flag Smashers, like the Global Repatriation Council, comes together in one room to like formulate its plan for genocide again, which is get never given. You never see a refugee camp. You never see people starving, even though there are like allusions to it. The only thing you see is quote unquote leftist violence in response to it so that you can't actually be fully committed to the side of the flag smashers. And so they try to attack them. And basically at the end of it, Sam captures Carly and then the Senator from America, who is like our representative on the GRC and the other members of the council who Captain America is just saved from being killed, come up and they're like, finally, you've taken these terrorists out so we can move forward with our plans to forcibly relocate 30 million people uninterrupted. And Sam's solution to this in the moment is to do a three-minute speech about why they shouldn't. And it's like... And it starts with him saying, you've got to quit calling Carly a terrorist. And he's like, these labels are totally unhelpful. Now you understand, because your life was in danger, what it's like to be a refugee in one of these places. So you should know that it's bad to do that. If you think that Carly's a terrorist, what do you look like? You know, what is your like peacekeeping troops that are going to repatriate these people look like to the refugees? But he has this line at the beginning of it where he says, terrorist, refugee, thug, all of these things. He yeah, says thug, thug, which is important. They're I think. all just labels. Yes. Yeah. So that we can not work together. Like, no one, I, I mean, just like the false equivalence there between being called a refugee and a terrorist or a thug, like, what do those all have in common? They're the language of power. Yes, <laughs> right. Right. I was it's all say- things that powerful people label. Victims of yeah. oppression. I was going to say, who uses those words? That was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So he's like, he's not even doing it both sides because it's not like <laughs> refugees are like, I'm a refugee now. Like, that's not a designation that they choose, right? <laughs> so, oh, he, but anyway, like, just to wrap this up, I, I read an interview with, uh, with Anthony Mackey, who did a, an interview with Variety. Was oh, it the one book. where he says, um, that like everyone everyone has to be gay now. <laughs> like why why can't people just be bros? That's not that's not his direct quote. He it was actually a fairly um, diplomatic answer for like he was trying not to get into the 
the discussion of whether or not it was queer baiting between Bucky and Sam. Oh yeah. But but uh oh, he was it, like it was, an, be gay now. it was an incredible out of context quote <laughs> to read. <laughs> Sorry, uh, keep going. It's okay. I'm not seeing that in in the transcript that I looked at, but I hope that that is a part of this. Um, He's in the interview with General Charles Q. Brown Jr., Chief of Staff of the Air Force, who's also a Black troop, who apparently, I guess, they think the Falcon is like kind of based on. But it's hilarious that he's appearing in interviews promoting this series with a fucking Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Like, I, I, it's somewhere if we went, did like a FOIA for public records, there are Defense Department contracts with the MCU about these fucking movies. There gotta be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but first of all, he says that it's important to him to show soldiers in a respectful human light. So here we are, like from the words of one of the stars of the show, that they're trying to do better representation of troops. But also, he had something that he wanted to add to the end of the monologue in Disney. I guess the writer's room shot it down. The one discerning choice they made was this quote. Everyone, everyone in this country at this time wants to see a change. Sorry, this is a summation, his summation of why he thought this should have been added. And that monologue sums it up in a beautiful way. One thing I wanted to put at the end of the monologue, and it got shot down, was, and here's the quote, if we're going to make America great again, it has to be done by Americans. And no matter what your race, creed, color, or sexuality is, you're an American. And that's what I think the new Captain America captures. Uh, I, I, I mean, like it's bad writing, but I don't even like fully know how, uh, like how it relates to the plot. So I guess I can't comment except that it's like I'm glad they shot it down because it's like a, it's like a bad thing to end on. Well, no, but I think that it. So basically, it it reveals who Mackie and the writers and Marvel as a whole thinks that this show is like actually talking to. Right. Like, because basically Sam is saying, like, I sympathize with Carly, but she's wrong for using violence. But also, Senator, who's really supposed to represent MAGA and Donald Trump, you're wrong too, because you won't consider these marginalized people. And really, if we all come together, regardless of who we are, we can come up with a solution if we just sit down and talk. It also, it also kind of, I think, assumes a kind of like better nature of of like the American dream or like the values of America. Like this isn't who we are. It's like, well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, history has shown perhaps that this is who we are. So I, it feels it feels like we, we I have a dream watered down type stuff is what it feels like. It's just, you know, with, you know, and, and, and whenever that stuff starts happening, it goes back to what we were just talking about, that any of the kind of like revolutionary energy or like chaos that comes with that sort of stuff just immediately gets shot down in a statement like that. I think I understand what he was going for, and and I probably wouldn't disagree with him that you know, uh, but but it also assumes that you know that people like the senator in that show are are willing to come to the table and talk to people of you know of stuff like that. And I think there's a huge assumption in that. So anyway, well, but I think that the bigger thing though is that. He's basically embracing like the nativism of the MAGA movement, right? I mean, it, oh, in yeah. the context of the show, this is about what are we going to do about all these refugees? And he's like, well, if we just like come together as Americans, you know, then we'll figure out what to do with all these stateless hostages. <laughs> like, but it has to, but he's basically saying like, 
America First would be great as long as it included everybody, including queer people and POC and whatever else. Like that's all we need, full inclusion into the empire. So I mm. I just think it's like it's a perfect Biden show. And I think that even the subversiveness that I still think Black Panther carries that this just flat out doesn't, part of that is due to the fact that it came out under Trump instead of Obama. I mean, I think that it's 100% if you rewind it to 2016 is an Obama sort of political vision because also Black Panther kind of makes everything work at the end there with a big speech after... uh, basically stabbing Killmonger in the chest. But still, I just, you know, I think the big picture take I I wanted to kind of end on here is both like the biggest influence on both of these moments. And I think on how the left is going to continue to be portrayed in big corporate blockbusters and whatever else is as basically people with good intentions that become villains or terrorists through through using violence, and that the actual way to solve our, all of our problems is to disregard the power relationships between groups, a frequent discussion, you know, point of discussion on this pod, and to like just sit down and have a conversation because that's what's missing. And really, I just, the final thing here is I just blame the West Wing for this. <laughs> West Wing brain. <laughs> because that's basically the climax of every episode of the fucking West Wing. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's the assimilation into, like you said, I think you said it perfectly, like being assimilated into the empire, right? Like this is, I don't want to be that guy and drop neoliberalism, but like that's that's exactly what it does. It says, it says, well, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to take that over too. And we're going to include this into the broader thing, uh, you know, agenda that we have here. And so you can play with it over there, but it's actually never going to shake any, or rattle any of the, the foundations that you're actually trying to, to rattle. So uh, anyway. Uh, before we get off on that train, should we should we uh, switch pivot to some of the things that we've been in in the late uh, late pandemic have been uh, giving us life? Yeah. Hey guys, just real quick, do you think it's a bad thing that all of the money for new movies is funneled into like three corporations who only make superhero movies for children? Do no. you think that's you think that's bad? <laughs> no. And I'm I'm, I'm going to do a live read here in a little bit for the new um, the new Top Gun movie. Uh, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, it's all good. Stop. That, that's the thing. I, mean, I, th- I think that's my takeaway from doing this podcast. Is this, I'm just too tired to be uh, a leftist anymore. I just want to I go and just enjoy the Marvel stuff and enjoy my, my favorite movies and just not think of the, what's the pill that you take uh, in, the, in the Matrix? The blue pill? Uh, that's the red the, pill. That was the red uh, pill. The, the blue pill lets you go back, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So I think that's, uh, yeah, just don't worry about it. Three companies control. It's probably going to be fine. They have your best interest at heart. Well, the, but the last thing I want to say, because, the, you know, it just in case it needs to be said, they're only doing this shit with Black characters. Mm. Like, Marvel is only doing this kind of both sides shit with Black characters. I think intentionally, in the case of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, trying to speak like West Wing to Republicans, begging Republicans to take liberalism seriously by just listening a little better to the other side and including everybody who's who wants to be at the table. And so, you know, Steve Rogers gets to be this really complex character who challenges, basically destroys an arm of the military in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Winter Soldier, like gets rid of the entire shield complex by himself. Oh, and also gets like, really... Can you imagine if- 
but also gets really pissed off when he finds out that they're going to use the Tesseract to build weapons in the first Avenger yes. movies. Yeah, it, it's totally incongruent. Yeah, anyway. So he gets to basically like eliminate an entire branch of the military and and Falcon, when he becomes Captain America, has to serve explicitly the military as a troop. So just worth pointing out that as we go forward, uh, leftist characters are always going to be the villains because it adds moral intrigue to the plot. You feel some conflict because you agree with them, but you'll never actually see what's really going on. You'll just see them acting violently in response. And to to go back to CJ, just like absolutely guessing the like red pill take that I thought was so genius. This is, you know, Israel Palestine much. I mean, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm not even going there. As soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, I see you. I see you, Marvel. Uh, <laughs> Oh Lord! Yeah. Well, and and just as a just as a tie a little bow on this, also look at War Machine uh, in in all the Marvel movies as compared to Tony Stark. So uh, that that yeah, tracks okay. with exactly what Thank you're talking you. about. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, yeah good I hadn't even thought of fucking War Machine, uh-huh. who also is a troop. Yes, who gets rebranded as Iron Patriot. Iron Patriot, in the right. third movie, right? Yeah, and and is basically just comic. Yeah, whatever. Well. Do we want to pivot? I was to, just saying, um, so we can let CJ, CJ actually be a part of this conversation. <laughs> Isaac and I are going like way deep into the MCU. Yeah, it just seemed like we were getting we we took a turn there for a moment. I tried to land Whatever, that plane CJ, and it just took right just back like, off. <laughs> I, it's not our fault. It's this is just like it's not my fault that I'm not seeing the good takes on on Twitter. It's or it is my fault that I'm not seeing them. It's CJ's fault for not keeping up with the thirty chapter. <laughs> Movie omnibus of the last two decades. I was saying, I watched them all again over the in the pandemic, so uh, no excuse. I I watched fifteen seasons of Supernatural and four seasons of Riverdale, so I, I think that I'm like on the same cultural level. I but, I, caught, I caught a. I just want to say this real quick. I caught an episode of Supernatural. I don't even know how this happened. I think it was because it was on Hulu, maybe, and they were in prison. I was like, wait, they went to prison. So anyway, I have no oh, idea yeah. what's happening. There <laughs> so. is. There's a prison plot line. It's yeah. poorly done. Yeah, um, it, it looks like well, it. They get put. They get. They don't even get put in regular prison. They get put in a black site, which is <laughs> insane. <laughs> but anyway. I don't, we don't need to talk about supernatural because I cannot, in good faith, recommend that to anyone. But you know, on the topic of movies and what we've been into, pretty much the only movie that I've watched recently that I would like to commend to um, the listeners of the pod is uh, Harlan County, USA which is a documentary that was made in the 1970s. I want to say 73, but that's probably wrong. But it's um, a documentary about the Brookside Miners' Strike in Harlan County, Kentucky. They were picketing... Well, they were picketing the mine, the Brookside Mine, which was owned by Duke Power, which is still still a major power corporation. I looked it up. It's actually not... Sorry. I would say Duke Power... Famously not still fucking up the earth. Yeah. Shout out to the uh, coal ash spill in the Dan River in 2014. Yeah. And like like just coal ash everywhere. Duke Power is also, I really thought they would be connected, but they are not connected to Duke University. It's just like back in the day, the Duke family gave a bunch of money to both, like both organizations. So they got named after the Duke family, but they're not, um, they're not connected anymore. Or like they were never organizationally or financially connected. It was just like the same family gave money to them. But uh, the movie is a documentary. It, it 
it shows um, a part of Appalachia, App- Appalachian history that I think is like really interesting because uh, it just it combines labor history with a, a region of the country that a lot of people don't hear a lot about. And I personally really loved it. It's streaming on HBO Max. And I also think on the Criterion channel because it is in the Criterion collection. But uh, I mean... They, these people who made the documentary were in Eastern Kentucky in Harlan County for, I mean, over a year. And they like, they lived there and they integrated themselves into the community to the point that later on people like minors who were picketing and their wives uh, who are also on the picket lines uh, credited their win in part to the presence of a film crew because the minors think uh, a man was actually murdered by by Duke Power for for picketing. And um, eventually after his murder, that's like what led the company and the strikers to reach an agreement uh, for like better pay, you know, more benefits and stuff like that. But the strikers, like the coal miners believe that there would have been a lot more violence and probably a lot more deaths if there hadn't been a camera and everyone's faces the whole time basically and and outsiders like outsiders with a camera and it's a really uh, there are so many bad depictions of Appalachia like there's so many bad you know films and documentaries and pictures made by strangers with cameras in Appalachian communities and this is like one of the rare exceptions where it was actually doing a good and showing people um, I think as they wanted to be seen anyway so that's what I'm into there's that little monologue. That's that's the only movie I've watched in like weeks. I, I don't know what are what are y'all into? Yeah, I I haven't been watching a lot of movies. I did rewatch uh, the half of it on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if either of you saw it. Uh, it's kind of like it's what like what young adult literature I want it to be, and it almost never rises up to that level, unfortunately. And and that that's an unfair critique because it's just a really good story, and it's just about two kids who kind of come together um, and they both end up, uh, it's a boy, like a school jock and this very like introverted uh, girl. And he's trying to kind of catch the interest of uh, another girl at the school. And it turns out that um, the the girl that he ends up becoming friends with is also interested in her. And so she's writing love letters to her, the Cyrano type of, of story. Just a really sweet, uh, good movie. Watched it, really enjoyed it. Um, the other thing that I've been doing, uh, I've been reading a whole lot. So are we going to do all these at the same time? Or do you want to go mediums uh, around the room? No, no, go. Okay. Go. Uh, go I, I downloaded a, a video game called Divinity, Original Sin 2, only because it felt like a bad Christian movie. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. It felt like just like, I was like, what is this? And it was cheap on the Nintendo eStore. So I was like, I'll get it. Uh, so if you like kind of like immersive role-playing games, I'm not going to go into the whole story on it. Uh Worth a worth worth a play, and 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 also just for the amusing fact that it's like you know Divinity Original Sin Two Tokyo Drift. It has that kind of energy in the title, uh, so I really appreciated that. The other two things that have kind of really rose to the top for me are two very different books. Uh, the first is the Anthropocene reviewed by John Green. Uh, I go back and forth on John Green a lot about whether I he he just always seems a little too precious uh, for me. Uh, but still, come on the pod, uh, John, if if you want to. But just like his oh, fiction, oh a lot. <laughs> Well, his fiction just, I think, I don't think that's an unfair, uh, that his fiction is a lot of times very hyper-articulate kids. 
like expressing viewpoints that are very, very, very nuanced. And I think sometimes it just raises the bar for like what we expect teens to be. And most, a lot of times teens are like surprisingly and wonderfully lowbrow. And, and I think he just lifts that bar up sometimes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But in fiction, it just kind of like always, I don't know, it's just not, it's not the move I would make. But this is a book of essays that he wrote during the uh, pandemic and maybe a little bit beforehand. And the kind of like, conceit of the book is this idea that everything gets reviewed. And so he and his brother were talking about how wild geese reviewed. And so like people will review anything. And so he goes through this whole thing of just reviewing all these things from um, like diet, uh, from like diet, uh, Dr. Pepper to like the Hall of Presidents to like air conditioning. And it's, it's good. It's one of those things where like I use the word precious and it comes across in nonfiction as very smart and articulate. And I really, really appreciated uh, reading it. So worth picking it up uh, if, if you are, if you like, if you're a John Green fan, but if you just want to read a good collection of essays that make you think, but also don't take a lot of emotional labor to get through. Um, and then the other one is, you know, I finished reading United States of Grace by Lenny Duncan, who I'm not sure if we can, I will just say it. He's going to come be coming on the pod soon, but I finished reading that for the second time. And it's just a it's just a really wonderful if you spend any time reading like spiritual memoirs this this kind of slots really nicely into that field but it's not it's not kind of limited in the way that some of those can be uh, where this he just pulls no punches and if you follow Lenny online or have ever encountered him in person pulling no punches is kind of part of his personality and it's something that I really appreciate and it just really comes through in this new book where he is not going to let anything He's not afraid to kind of levy any kind of claims against the United States, but there's a deep and abiding love of what this country is and could be that I found really fascinating coming from him, especially uh, that kind of permeates this whole book. So worth checking out. We're going to have him on here for a, con uh, a conversation and hopefully in a, the next month or so. But um, I find myself thinking about it uh, ever since I've read it again for the second time. And, you know, it just anytime that that happens, it's always worth uh, recommending. So what about you, Isaac? I'm no longer consumer of culture. I only watch anime for sports. Oh, I meant to say um, the NBA. I meant to say the NBA. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Well, Brian, I put Steve Javi, uh, the in a, the ESPN ref, correspondent in the fight corner last week. Oh. And then last night, he was back on his bullshit and I was screaming at my television. Wait, was, it, was he the one that did the thing with the, with the Devin Booker? Did he make that call? Yes. yes well, yeah. no. Okay. So, well, I'm not going to get triggered about Steve Javi again, but the, <laughs> the refs made this absolutely ridiculous decision to review a play because Pat Bev flopped and rolled around on the ground. Oh, they yeah. didn't call a foul. They just stopped play to do a review. And when they brought Steve Javi on, of course he fucking defended the refs. Yeah. Anyway, he just abolished the police also means abolish instant replay. And I hope everybody <laughs> prepares themselves for that and understands that refs or cops, but fuck you, Steve Javi. Anyway, um, <laughs> I wish I, 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 I wish I was here for that. Damn. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, it's just so infuriating. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I just started a new anime this week called Hunter Hunter. It's on Netflix. It's really good, but I, I, it's like, I can't read anymore. <laughs> I can't do anything but watch, um, stupid Japanese cartoons and, uh, I'm. I don't know. I'm just. My brain is mush. So uh, that's where I'm at. Well, you, like, you, you also have a baby. I'm like. I'm like me and Brian. <laughs> yes. 
I have teenagers, so I just get to, I just watch the stuff that they're gonna like. We've been watching, we rewatching Mandalorian, and then also watching the new Loki uh, show. But also, Isaac, this is where it, it, uh, uh, the pod uh, starts to influence real life. Is that uh, you got my kids, and then me hooked on uh, what do you call it? It's a demon hunter. Uh, Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Demon Hunter. I was watching uh, Buffy the other day. Uh, Demon Slayer, and so now it's like. Now it's like a failure of, of mine as a parent that I can't find out how to watch the movie uh, anyway. So so anyway, so that's that that influenced that. And my wife my wife walked in and was just like, "What are you all watching?" I was like, "Nothing. You're dreaming. Go to sleep. <laughs> Go back to bed." Uh, so that that's been a, that's been anime. A, yeah, it's been a bliss family favorite. Uh, so yeah, anime is a slippery well, slope. I, if you get too much into it, all of a sudden you'll find yourself awake at two a.m. watching an anime about like a volleyball team. It's like, what the hell is going on? Why am I watching this? And why is it so damn compelling? <laughs> okay, yeah, that that's called Haikyuu, and it's on. It's also it's, on Netflix. It's, awesome. it's really good. It's awesome. I love yeah. it. I know it's so good. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to do a thirty second defensive anime. It might be three minutes. Uh, first of all, uh, just yesterday. The Demon Slayer movie started streaming on Funimation. Uh, so just do a, a free trial and you can watch it there. Here's the deal. Uh, I think I already said this the last time we did a cultural pod, but I'll just reiterate it because it's been a while since then. But A cultural pod. <laughs> <laughs> our culture is pod. <laughs> we are. That is our... That, you know what? I can't read anymore because I started podcasting. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. Um, Continue your defensive anime. I will. So, I mean, part of the reason why I have enjoyed watching it is that just about like this is so dumb, but the character motivations and like the values that like characters in anime have are 100% like based in this sort of basic fundamental idea of community and solidarity across like. The base, I, I don't know. It's just, it's something you never see in American television where the individualism is just so intense that that becomes the primary conflict. And it's just, it's refreshing to see people like actually fighting for something collectively. And that's basically what every anime is. And um, so, you know, I mean, there's a, even in, even in the Demon Slayer movie, there's a moment in it where like this character is being told by a villain like he's being shown this vision of his of his family who's who's dead like blaming him for their death and like talking about how how he's a failure and how like they're so disappointed in him and his response is instead of like in an american movie he would just like fall into despair and like the villain would like get the upper hand for a time and instead he just says my family would never say that and it's like it just feels like this moment that absolutely would not happen in American television or movies. And and the only exception, this actually is getting me back to the only thing I've watched that was an anime recently, is the sequel to A Quiet Place, which just came out recently. It's really good. Uh, that is the only like recent American thing that de- portrays a family that actually likes each other. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that makes the first movie so so moving and uh, the sequel is really good so if you want to go back to the movies go see the quiet place sequel because it it is really good so uh there's my defensive anime hunter hunter my hero academia the volleyball one i just watched one about classical music that's on netflix called your lion april that like made me cry so (laughs) just yeah it's out there and they're you know they're a different set of like if you know 
this is how I'm going to get my kid to be a leftist to get him to watch anime. <laughs> I mean, he needs something to balance out the YouTube. I think I've talked about this before that my son will try out these opinions. I'm like, where did you hear that? And it's like, oh, this guy on YouTube. I was like, oh, YouTube is just a training ground for the alt-right. So anyway. I mean, yeah, there's been like studies about I know. how people get radicalized on YouTube. It's concerning. Um, I would have... I would have said more recommendations had I known it was just going to be a, a three-round thing. But do we have time for a... Do you have time for a fight corner? Let's do it. Absolutely. Are you okay. going to put uh, every IP that doesn't have an active fanfic community in the fight corner? <laughs> okay. What's really funny about that is one of my favorite books is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which is an incredible book. If you're <laughs> extra free recommendation, it's like, it's weird and wonderfully written and just like, I find it, I find it like so fun, but I did not realize until I reread it recently um, that there is like a, a thriving fan fiction community for the secret history, which is very strange to me because it has an incredibly bleak ending, but people are like, no, we're going to fix that and we're going to do it worse than Donna Tart did. It's just so strange. Okay. Anyway, into the fight corner. So recently this, I'm not going to like tell you this man's, Twitter at because I actually don't want him to get any sort of uh, clout from this than he, more than he already has. But so recently, the New Yorker uh, tw like tweeted a link to one of their articles about how some some skeletons of like Greek warriors were discovered in a mass grave, and apparently some of them were holding hands, which is very sweet. <laughs> uh, but this man, this like deranged evangelical Christian quote tweeted it to say, on top of being a stupid lie, the retconning of ancient male friendship as homosexuality has damaging <laughs> implications today. And then went on an insane rant. I mean, it was like 20, 25 tweets. And I won't read you all of them, but I will read you the next one, which it seems harder and harder to deny that the normalization of homosexuality has killed intimate male friendships. Mm. <laughs> and I will Hell admit... Yeah. I will admit that I have been doing friendship on easy mode because I grew up a teenage girl who have famously very intense friendships and I had a lot of them. And also I have like very good friends. So I, I don't fully uh, connect to the experience of like intensely lonely, like white dudes of which I think there are a lot in America. But this fight corner is for this man specifically because I like... I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude, that you don't have any friends, but like, you don't need to get mad at the gays about it. <laughs> like, why is it so bad if, if like your dude friends want to kiss just a little bit, just a little bit, you don't have to be into it. <laughs> you don't have to participate, but it's fine if they want to. <laughs> it just seemed like it was just an absolutely insane take. And I really like, I guess the fight corner is like, I do think this man is just a raging homophobe and he is welcome to meet me in the Chili's parking lot at any time because um, I have good friends and they'll back me up. <laughs> I have I have intimate male friendships and they will back me up. But I mean, I think it just like points to a, like a really, like a, just like a really strange decision to be like, actually the problem for why like men don't have friends in American society is the gays. And not like maybe yeah. everyone is working every hour of the day because nobody will give it, give us fucking health insurance or pay us a living wage. And there's also like post-World War II, there was this sense that men need to be like the bread 
you know, the breadwinners and like the master of their family, which is really not how like family systems worked like before. Or that emotion is like feminine, like that any kind of emotion is feminine. So any, sorry. Unfortunately, Elizabeth Brunig did get that take right, which is that (laughs) like, like, I think you I know. just stole her take, actually. Yeah, which is which is that like emotion was coded as feminine, and like yeah. men didn't need to um, have intimate emotional friendships because like they're men and they you know they they're warriors or whatever. It's the Mark Driscoll thing that just recycled over again. It just makes me really sad. But I like I <laughs> we should not blame the gays. We should blame the systemic issues that atomize people, but especially cis men, and especially I think. Like white cis teenage boys who are then easily radicalized into alt right French groups because that those groups do offer them a sense of community. It's like it's really concerning. My fight corner is also to any white supremacist radicalizing people on YouTube, I guess. But uh, the tweets made me mad. I think it points to like some bigger problems worthy of worthy of like discussion and thinking about outside of like dunking on him for hating the gays, which is of course patently ridiculous. We are wonderful. (laughs) Once again, asking, are men okay? And the answer is probably not. I truly can't believe I'm signing up for this experience. (laughs) (laughs) What's yours? Oh, shit. Well, I Uh, I, I one time... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, if we ever want to go down the the, uh, rabbit hole of targeted ads that I get as a new father for like masculine baby shit. I absolutely have a folder prepared um, full of them. I just pulled up one called tactical baby gear that has a troop holding a baby with a stroller over his, his shoulder. And the tagline is ditch the girly diaper bag. Your diaper bag isn't your child's accessory. It's yours. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, just last week when you showed me that Chris Tomlin video, (laughs) it was like, it had an insane ad in front of it that was like, how to poop, but manly. Oh, I was just going to say, (laughs) dude, I I was just going to say like, my kids and I were at Target the other day and laughing our ass off because they have these things called dude wipes. And the only thing between difference between a dude wipe and and like a regular just kind of like toilet wipe or whatever is that they're bigger. So you don't have to touch your own asshole on accident. Like that's literally the only thing. It's like, I don't want to turn pooping gay. Uh, So it's like Ben and I, I mean, my kids and I were laughing our ass off in Target about that. But that's a real thing. Like the MRA, the men's rights activist group, actively is out there telling young men that it's like gay to wipe your ass because if you touch your butthole, it's it's homosexual. Like unless you have like, a, there's this, a wipe that's like a, a foot long. <laughs> well, but the other thing that uh, that is also out there is this company called Steel Stool, which hard it's like a supplement you take to harden your shit so that you don't have to wipe. It just falls out like a brick. And the oh, best God. thing about it is that if you go in like <laughs> I I started like screen capping their Facebook posts because they did one of those black square posts last summer. Like Steel Stool wanted to make space Steel. for black voices. Stop. <laughs> this took this took a real turn. I know. This is I think this is where we we say all takes of interviews. <laughs> <laughs> But there's like literally there's a TikTok trend a couple of months ago about women posting about how they've dated men that didn't wipe their ass. Like this is like an actual problem, and in toxic masculinity, 
is getting young men not to wipe their ass because they think it's gay. It's not even a joke. It's it's sad. That is, I I did not. I, I thought it was just a joke, um, but that is shocking. I mean, it's it's just and, and sad. I mean, anyway, that we should do a whole pod on that because that's something I have a lot to say about. Okay, I have something to say. And it's Three dudes. To always wipe your ass. Well, I just say I was thinking of like just raising a, a kid in that, and how do you? Anyway, we. Going on. What were you going to say, yeah. CJ? I was going to say, yeah, three dudes talking about masculinity. It's what, the, what could go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can bring on a, a gas. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but all takes have, have been revealed, I think. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>